It is Monday, February 21st, 2022. Welcome to a brand new week of Richie Allen shows. Hope you've had a good weekend. Thanks for finding me again. Reach out to me during the course of the next two hours at richieallen.co.uk. Uncensored, unfiltered. You're listening to Richie Allen on the world's most popular independent news radio show. It's the Richie Allen Show. Broadcasting live on RichieAllen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. And I'm delighted to be here. So I am, I always am. Jenny Lowe's will join the program in the second hour. No, she won't. She'll join the program this hour. (laughs) What's wrong with you, Baldy? It's only the beginning of the week. That's what it is. An extended conversation with Jenny, former NHS nurse working in private practice in Portugal, a brilliant lady. We've had some fascinating conversations with her around electromagnetic smog, stress, the impact of the same on the body, natural health, naturopathic health, health even. We're going to talk with Jenny about her own health journey, how she got to where she is now. We'll talk diet, we'll talk much more with her in what promises to be a fascinating chat, don't miss it. And you can ask questions of Jenny through the website richieallen.co.uk. Comment live on the menu bar. That's the way to do it. Yes, Asha, we've had some weather. I hope you're well. Have you survived the day after tomorrow? Have you? You ever see that film, The Day After Tomorrow? It stars Dennis Quaid and Jake Gyllenhaal. Apocalyptic weather, climate change. That's what it's about. It's the carry-on. The carry-on of the media in this country over the last three, four, five days over a bit of wind. A bit of wind. Now, admittedly, not great for some floods and the like and travel disruption and the like. And, well, as for folks who were killed by falling trees. Now, I've lived through a fair few storms over the years, dear listener. Why? Well, because I, I come from Waterford. I, I come from a coastal city. I've lived through quite a few storms growing up by this sea. And you know what I did, dear listener, when the wind was blowing very hard? You know what I did? I gave trees a wide berth, if you know what I mean. There's absolutely no excuse whatsoever to be killed by a falling tree during a storm. Now, if it's a sunny day and it's flat, calm, the daffodils and the daisies and the roses and you can see bumblebees flying around and a tree falls on you, well, that's just very bad luck. But if you're anywhere near a tree in a Force 9 or Force 10 gale, you're a cretin and your headstone should reflect your cretinousness. Here lies Michael Smith, the village idiot, who was out walking alongside trees during a storm. I don't care if you know somebody who was felled by a tree, whose life was snuffed out by the most peaceful of creatures on planet Earth, a tree. Anyway, I'm looking forward to Jenny Lowe's being back on the programme. It's uh, four minutes past five. What what do we talk about? Johnson to kick off, I suppose, an end to all remaining COVID legal restrictions. 
was announced by UK Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the Commons a short time ago. This will happen from Thursday. Would you like to hear him? We can hear just a smidgen of what he had to say to the Commons. Boris Johnson speaking a short time ago. And today's strategy shows how we will structure our approach in England around four principles. First, we will remove all remaining domestic restrictions in law. From from this Thursday, 24th of February, we will end the legal requirement to self-isolate following a positive test. And so we will also end self-isolation support payments, although COVID provisions for statutory sick pay can still be claimed for a further month. We will end routine contact tracing and no longer ask fully vaccinated close contacts and those under 18 to test daily for seven days. And we will remove the legal requirement for close contacts who are not fully vaccinated to self-isolate. Until the 1st of April, we will still advise people who test positive to stay at home. But after that, we will encourage people with COVID-19 symptoms to exercise personal responsibility. Just as we encourage people who may have flu to be considerate to others. Mr Speaker, it's only because levels of immunity are so high and deaths are now, if anything, below where you would normally expect uh, for this time of year that we can lift these restrictions. And it's only because we know Omicron is less severe that testing for Omicron on the colossal scale we've been doing is much less important and much less valuable in preventing serious illness. Now, and I robbed that bit of audio from LBC, as you just heard there, I stole it on Twitter. So that's Boris Johnson then a short time ago. Is there anything else to add to that before we move on? I don't think so. No. Uh, so, So the announcement has been made then. Now, there are those who are not happy at all, at all, at all. The vulnerable, the clinically vulnerable, to be precise, are not happy. They're very upset. And they took to the nation's radio stations and television channels today to express their dismay that restrictions are coming to an end and that people can, well, mingle with one another even if they test positive for COVID. I heard some beauties today. This morning, the BBC interviewed a woman who hasn't set foot outside her door for more than 850 days. What kind of fuckery is this? Not been outside for 850 days. Juliet Coffer. Not cougher, as in C-O-U-G-H, as in coughing. Juliet Coffer has a lung condition and has been in her living room for 850 days. Uh, the BBC reporter who went to speak with her put on a hazmat suit in the street before he entered the house. It's all a bit mad. Here's Juliet. She's not happy that the restrictions are coming to an end. There's days where I feel like literally um, the house is closing in on me. Uh, Well, it would do, wouldn't it? There's days I want to see the sea. There's days I want to go and see my parents. Um, There's all these things that people do normally. When people start going out and you see their Facebook posts and you see people at adventure parks or at dinner or out with friends and you think, 
the world's leaving me behind here. She's being left behind. Um, and you do get that sense that we're very much left behind. So she's going on Facebook, this vulnerable woman who's been indoors for 850 days, won't go outside because she's terrified she'll get the COVID. And she's looking at people on Facebook going to adventure parks and she feels left behind. Because there's not enough measures in place to make it safe. Ah, we're not following the measures, you see. And until we do, she's stuck indoors. For us to be out. For us to be out. I don't understand why people can't put a mask on. Because I couldn't give a shit about you, Juliet. When they're in an enclosed area. Why they, and they don't work. Why they can't stay home where they are COVID positive and I just don't get... Why, why they don't stay home when they're COVID positive. Why my life isn't valuable enough for society to take on those measures. Yeah, well, your, your, your life is valuable, obviously, to you and to your friends and family, but, but it isn't to me. I don't care, really, what happens to you, because I don't know you. And it's intellectually and medically, it's ethically redundant to ask people to curtail their own lives in any way to somehow make yours a bit, a bit more bearable. It's madness, Juliet. It's total madness. I'll be accused, of course, of, of being a far-right conservative. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is madness to demand that people, strangers, go about wearing masks and keeping their distance just in case they're in the presence of a vulnerable person. It's mad. Life dealt you a shitty hand, Juliet. That's just the way it goes, big nose. It just happens like that. That's nature. You were selected to have a debilitating lung disorder. I am not going to put an unhealthy, filthy rag over my face, compromising my own health, for the likes of you to feel safe to go outside. You've got to be crazy. So that everybody can have a plan to live with COVID. I said to these people, because I had an encounter which I'm not proud of, with a woman with cerebral, cerebral or cerebral palsy 18 months ago. Nice woman otherwise, but um, had an argument with her when she was challenging me for going into shops without, without wearing a mask, for doing whatever I wanted to do. And she said that I had a responsibility to her. And I said, I don't. I don't, as it happens. But if you want to play that game, any chance you'll help me with my mortgage this month, I said to the woman. And that softened her cough, as we say in God's country. There's no answer to that. No, love, you don't give a shit about me from one day to the next. Quite rightly. We're not friends, we're not neighbours, we're not family. My responsibility to you is, is to drive safely when I'm on the road. Not to steal from you. Not to covet your wife or your husband. But as for, for the rest of it, well, I'll do for me and mine. And I won't worry my pretty little head about whether you get ill or not. It's mad stuff, this. It really is. She wasn't the, other, uh, the only one today, Juliet, who hasn't been outside for 850 days. There was also Isabel Yanni Friend. She's got cystic fibrosis. She's petrified, she tells Sky News. I'm terrified, to be, or, or terrified. To be honest. Um... I've been shielding for two years because the risk of COVID hasn't changed. You know, it's still a threat to my life. Um, and now these measures are being dropped. It means that I'm not going to know if people around 
me have got COVID or not. And I was hoping that this summer I'd be able to ease my own personal restrictions, maybe go to a shop or cafe type places. And I haven't done that yet. And now... This lunatic hasn't been out for two years either. And she was hoping that this summer, after two plus years of sitting indoors, shitting in her knickers, worried about an airborne pathogen with a survivability rate of 99.85%. Now she's going to put on hold the plans to get out for the coffee with the friends in the summer because because the Prime Minister, the idiot in number 10 Downing Street, and he is an idiot, regardless of whether you're happy about today's announcement or not, uh, because Johnson says people don't have to go about wearing masks and 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 treating themselves like biological weapons anymore. Isabel won't go outside now. And now I definitely don't think I will be. I don't feel safe to do those things. You Presumably, if you've had your, your jabs, you've done all you can to protect yourself. Or, or you, do you not feel comfortable that perhaps with extra precautions yourself, masks, etc., that you could perhaps rejoin society? Brilliant question, right? So you've probably had three jabs, Isabel. You're probably going to have a fourth one. You're, you're probably wearing a mask and you've probably got one of those visors coming down over your face. That's not enough. No, you, you want everybody else to, to do the same, yeah? yeah? I don't feel at this stage, no, especially if people aren't testing and isolating when they test positive. Although I have had the, the jabs and the boosters, um, when I get a minor cold, I end up in hospital. So I can't risk getting COVID to, um, because my lungs are already very damaged and I don't know what COVID will do to me. Again, tough shit. That's the hand of cards nature dealt you. It's not nice. I don't take any... I, I get nothing out of it. <laughs> I don't find it funny. But we've all had relatives that have had problems. COPD, right? Emphysema. Although that's kind of your own fault, isn't it? If you've smoked 60 cigarettes a day or whatever, right? Right? It's just the way the cookie crumbles. I've had respiratory infections most of my life. I have weak lungs. I, I, take, I take measures to, to improve my chances as I get older. I've never smoked a cigarette. I find them rancid. I run. I'm obsessed by it. I look after myself. I'd never expect people to stay indoors or to shield, or to wear masks, lest they pass something on to me. It's tantamount to madness. The presenter then asks the young woman, um, but, but what have you been doing when, when flu seasons were pretty bad? I, I mean, we have flu as well, you know. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've always been very cautious of being around people if I know that they've got a cold or, or flu-type symptoms. But this is a whole other level, you know, the way COVID can spread is a lot faster and um, some people are asymptomatic or have very, you know, little symptoms. So, you know, to them, it might not feel like a big deal, but for someone like me, it could be life or death. But, but, but they're not responsible for you, you, you cretin. Do you understand that? How could you possibly expect society to function like that? that you happen to be one of a few hundred thousand people, God love you, who've got a terrible lung condition. Therefore, whenever things are a bit dicey, whenever there's a bit of an infection going around, you want people to revolve around you, to try and protect you, even though it's impossible. Masks have been proven not to work. Absolutely debunked the notion that by wearing a bit of cloth over your face, 
that you can prevent the transmission of anything. It's nonsense. But even still, pretending that it does, why should anybody do for you? Compromise their own health? Inconvenience themselves because you, in some other part of the country, and maybe others, are, are dealing with a, with a chronic condition that you would be dealing with anyway? Silly people. Shall we leave that there, shall we? We'll leave that one there. We'll leave her there. Not just vulnerable people. You had GPs going on TV and radio endorsing this madness that, you know, the perfectly healthy should go about tiptoeing on eggshells around the vulnerable people. Here's Rachel Clark, the GP, on Good Morning Britain this morning. She's not happy at the removal of all restrictions either, Rachel Clark. We cannot assume um, that we have reached herd immunity. And indeed, even if we had, that doesn't stop there being 3.7 million clinically extremely vulnerable people in our country at the moment. I am sometimes seeing in hospital those individuals who can be triple vaxxed. They've had their vaccinations, but because they have cancer or leukemia or they're immunosuppressed, they can't mount a response and they end up dying in hospital. And sometimes we will be doing things like bringing their children in to see them before they die. The the idea that with a serious infectious disease that is capable, as we know, of killing 175,000 people in two years, the idea that the government could think it was okay to stop self-isolation for that disease, to literally let people walk around knowing they're positive, infecting other people. It's not just irresponsible or reckless, it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Rachel Clark, GP, did you catch the very beginning of that? We cannot assume um, that we have reached herd immunity. And indeed, even if we had, that doesn't stop there being 3.7 million clinically extremely vulnerable people in our country at the moment. These people are barking mad. They are barking. This is, you know, section these people. We can't assume we've reached herd immunity. Uh, After two years, you can safely assume herd immunity was reached a long time ago. Number one. Number two, how utterly insane to say that, well, even if we have reached herd immunity, well, there's still a couple of million vulnerable people. So even if we have, Even if COVID is no longer a problem, we should still, according to this GP, be thinking about what we can do for vulnerable people. This is dangerous stuff now. It's dangerous. This has come home to roost, this stuff that we've talked about on this programme long before COVID, where society was going. Madness. You, you uh, must, you must at all times be thinking, and I talked about this on Friday. You may have missed it. I did a show on Friday in lieu of the fact I was away on Thursday. I did a show on Friday. Didn't I? I did. Not this Friday, just gone the previous Friday. (laughs) The previous Friday, was it? Yes. Or was it Thursday? I'm, I'm losing my mind. I did a show on Thursday, as I always would do. I was on my Todd. I was on my own. And I talked about the, the invention of the term vulnerable groups, vulnerable people. And what it really means, if you didn't catch it, you might want to check it out. There are some interesting ideas in there, I think. Insane stuff, this. Over on Sky News, uh, Kay Burley, 
the breakfast host for Sky, was expressing her concern for OAPs, in particular at one certain OAP. But what about those that are most vulnerable in our society? I mean, we know of a 95-year-old lady who lives in a castle, you know, and every COVID restriction is taken to keep her safe and she's still contracted it. She will, and this will this will happen, and she's still working, but she's working from home, she's working uh, in isolation, and that's exactly what we're talking about, learning to live with COVID. There is There comes a point at some time when we're able to do that, we're able to give as many people back their, their freedoms uh, as possible, where uh, as many people to go about their business and including uh, the um, allowing the economy to recover. Mm, giving that, That's Paul Scully, business minister, in conversation with the Ginger Ninja. Yeah, we'll be able to give as many people back their freedoms as possible, said this guy. Th- these ideas are cemented now, aren't they? In the minds of people. And I think what's happening at the moment, and I could be wrong, I'm often wrong, I think... They, they've pressed pause on this COVID thing for a while. They felt that they'd reached maybe saturation point. They felt they needed to release the pressure a little bit, but not just to give people a break before the next step, just to allow things to settle in people's minds, to allow it to settle in people's minds that it's okay for the government to shut down society, ruin people's lives over a virus with... Uh, which for the, for the great majority of people in the country is insignificant. It's okay to, to shut businesses. It's okay to screw up the lives of children. It's okay to compel people or near as damn it compel people to take a medicine they don't need. And I think that's what's happening at the moment. Just let it calm down a bit. Let people, you know, adjust to it. Adjust to let people come to terms with what has happened over the last two years. For a few weeks, for a few months maybe, before they ramp it up again. That's what I see happening right now. It's uh, it's like the eye of the storm. Ask any fisherman about the eye of a maritime storm. When you're out at sea, you're out there, it gets very calm all of a sudden. You think, Jesus, if you're inexperienced, you think, yeah, we've, we've gotten over the worst of that. No, no, you're in the middle of it. It's centred right over you. And it's going to feel like you just stepped into a hurricane. Any second, it's going to feel like you opened a door and then bang, it's going to hit you in the face again. So, yeah. Anyway, the, the, the hits just keep on coming today. The Joint Committee on Vaccination and Immunisation has said, wait for it, vulnerable people will indeed be offered a fourth, count them, one, two, three, fourth dose of a COVID jab. It hits you between the eyes. Well, that's the surprise you see. Yes, Silla. Yes, Silla. They're going to give them a fourth jab in in the next few weeks if they want one. And surprise, surprise, they'll be offering them jab number five in the autumn. Here's Sky News science reporter, a guy called Tom Moore. It's a, they're calling it a spring booster campaign. It's not specific to a particular date. It's really they're offering an additional dose of the vaccine to people who are over 75 or immunosuppressed. That's about it's more than 7 million people who are over 75 and a half million people who are in the broadest uh, immunocompromised category will be offered another dose about six months after they received their last dose, which for most of them will have been 
a booster vaccine, a, a, third, a third dose. Now, the strategy here is this, it's very much precautionary that JCV are assisting, this, insisting to us. This is not in response to any new information. It's not in response to any suggestion that vaccine protection is waning any faster than was expected. Don't you just love that? The, the Sky guy, Tom Moore. The JCVI has said vulnerable people can have a fourth dose of a jab. Now, this is not in response to any new information whatsoever. It's not in response to any new information whatsoever. And it, there is no evidence whatsoever that the, um, well, the, the COVID jabs they've already had are waning in any way. What kind of fuckery are you? Yes, yes. You should have a fourth jab. Why? Then we don't know. Actually, you might as well. Is there, is there any new information? No. The jabs that I've already had, the three that I already had, I didn't, by the way, don't be stupid, but, but the vulnerable person, the, the, the three I've already had, have they waned? But we don't know. But have the fourth one anyway. Why not, sure? You know, in for a penny, in for a pound, you know. You know, here's more from Tom Moore. Precautionarily, if you give a fourth dose, a... Precautionarily. ...booster... In spring, six months after the first one, that should extend protection at least into this year. What's happening now, of course, with those restrictions being lifted, the, we're expecting the government to announce an end to uh, mandatory isolation. We're also expecting to end free testing, although, as you've said... At this Which they've already done. This was recorded just before Johnson went to the dispatch box in the Commons. Yes, the, from April 1st, there will be no more free lateral flow tests. April 1st is April Fool's Day. So I don't know. A second ago, we're still wasting the details of that. And there's some disagreements over exactly how it will play out. That does mean a period of uncertainty. We don't quite know what this year is going to look like. That's another reason I think that JCVI wants to reinforce that vaccine wall. And it shows how reliant on it we're going to be. How reliant on it we're going to be. We also heard today a confirmation there will be an autumn booster programme as well. So it's highly likely that same group of people will be offered an additional booster vaccine uh, in the autumn before the winter when we know if we are going to have a problem with COVID, it's most likely to be then um, and the NHS is going to be most risk then. Yeah, boosters, booster jabs, get your booster jabs, have your flu jabs while you're at it. Jabs. It'll be jabs and jabs and jabs and jabs for the idiots who'll roll up their sleeves and take them. And that's the great majority of people in this country. Morons. 26 minutes past five. Let's get back to the weather on Eimshire, as we say in leprechaun land. On Eimshire, the weather. Uh, Jimmy O'Brien shilling for the agenda on LBC for a number of years. Shilling for the agenda. Uh, the weather... Well, it must be climate change, right? It couldn't just be the wind in the winter. Jimmy O'Brien lamenting that climate change seems to be off the agenda. Why do you think the increased evidence of extreme weather conditions doesn't have a more profound impact on, for example, support for Extinction Rebellion? <laughs> or support... So it gets a bit windy, says Jimmy. It gets a bit windy and a few tiles blow off of a roof. And in Didsbury, in South Manchester, a river bursts its banks. You'd think that people would go rushing to Extinction Rebellion, wouldn't you, Jimmy? For any of the organisations that have started adopting rather extreme tactics in pursuit of better protecting the planet. Why? Because why? Should, there should be a, a, a chain effect, should, should there, I think? Imagine they paid this dickhead. 
watch the weather, realise something bad is happening on a, on a planetary scale. And then support Extinction Rebellion. And change your view about climate science. Why do you think that is not happening more? Why would all of these extreme weather conditions, now that they're happening here, it's not like watching a flood in Bangladesh. It doesn't affect us in the same way. Now that it's happening here, increasingly we find the, the weather moving to the front page of the newspapers. Why is it not having a more profound impact on conversations about climate change? And he put that out to his listeners and he got some calls, including one from a demented, batshit crazy woman who had a solution to the apathy of people. A solution that would drive home the seriousness of climate change in the minds of the masses. She is stunned, is this mad woman, that people cannot connect the windy weather to the apocalypse. I'm amazed at the lack of connection as mm. well because Sir David King, the ex-chief scientific officer, yes. said that COVID will be is very insignificant um, in comparison to what is coming with climate change. And I think maybe there are too many vested interests in government pushing in the other direction. I do feel that Every week on the television, there should be the Prime Minister flanked by two climate scientists explaining what has been done to mitigate climate change. And that's not happening. All together now. Did you hear what she said just for the crack? I mean, maybe... Do you know? I mean, she's come up with the idea... Don't bet against it happening. I do feel that every week on the television there should be the Prime Minister flanked by two climate scientists explaining what has been done to mitigate climate change. Mm. And that's not happening. David? Oh, shut up, you tart. Imagine that. But it, it could happen. Who would flank the Prime Minister? Which two dipsticks would flank the Prime Minister every day at 5.30 to talk about how climate change is killing people in the same way they came on television to lie about COVID-19 killing people. Who would you, who, who would do it? She mentioned David King, didn't she? Maybe David Attenborough and David King, maybe. Yeah. Oh, God. There's a little bit more of that. Do you want it? Um, what did O'Brien say to that, Jimmy O'Brien? To which the response, the, the one response is, well, if, if what would be the point of us doing that, little old England, if China are just carrying on as they were before? Yes. Well, China, each individual person in China has a much lower carbon footprint than we do. That's because they're smaller. Yes. Tiny little fingers. We're outsourcing our, our, our uh, exactly. manufacturing pollution yes. to China. So if you want to make yes. a change, stop buying the stuff that comes in on the container <laughs> ships from China. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. I do agree. So I think... She agrees. I'm going to make a change for once in my life. I think we do need to hold our leadership to account and in a way it's very very difficult we have the votes but it, we have the vote but it's like we vote away our chance to have a say in the five years that, that <laughs> follows we vote away our chance to have a say in the five years that follow but you knew that didn't you when you went to the ballot box to vote for your your candidate, your your chosen candidate, you knew if he or she got into Parliament, they'd be there for five years. You knew that, didn't you? 
didn't you? You see what she's hinting at there? Citizens' assemblies. This is where it's all going in the end. They'll get rid of these. I mean, democracy is an illusion. We don't live in democracy. We never have done. It isn't even really a constitutional monarchy. We've always lived in tyranny. We just didn't know most of it. Right? Fascistic tyranny. That's what it is, right? We can see it now. Most of us, some of us knew. Now a lot more people can see what's going on. Citizens' assemblies. They'll eventually get rid of politicians. And it'll be citizens' assemblies. And you'll have goons like that woman there saying that, you know, we have to stay indoors for a few weeks. Why? Climate change, you know. We'll have to ration our food. And it won't just be you can't eat red meat. Oh God, no, it'll be, you can't eat for a while. Can't eat anything. You can't have pets, no cats, no dogs, no iguanas, no nothing, no alpacas in your field. No, you can't because they create CO2. And ultimately, people will eventually figure out that the the desired CO2, the CO2 they really want to capture, well, it's, it's you and me they want to get rid of. It'll dawn on people eventually. Have you ever seen the rain from CCR, Credence, Clearwater Revival? Oh, we've seen plenty of rain, be Jesus. My guest, Jenny, is next. Credence, Clearwater Revival, have you ever seen the rain? Had plenty of it, which is not a bad thing. Couple of quick comments before we say hi to Jenny, who's with us for an extended conversation today. And if you'd like to engage, if, you, if you'd like to ask a question of Jenny, do so through the website richieallen.com. Co.uk. Comment live is your best bet. If you can't comment live, send a message through the website to me. I'll monitor the email. Interesting one from Craig. Stop buying Chinese goods, says Fluffer O'Brien, as he speaks into a microphone likely manufactured in China. (laughs) That's interesting. I was going to say, Craig, well, I think the microphone was manufactured in Germany because I'm certain, in fact, I know that I'm using the exact same microphone as O'Brien and most of the mainstream media. That being said, it's a German company, but uh, yeah, it probably is made in China, so that is a good point. Uh, Horace asks, has anyone seen the new Bill Gates interview? I was sent a message yesterday from Andrew and Sophie, good friends of mine in the southwest of France. I don't have the clip to hand, but Gates seemed to be lamenting that the Omicron strain of COVID was doing a better job at uh, acquiring or achieving immunity than the vaccines, which is an incredibly bizarre thing to say. In fact, I'll I'll try and dig the clip out at some stage. Uh, Hi to Jake. There's so many comments here already. Uh, Keep them coming in and do engage. Chat away with one another there. Now, um, really like my, my next guest. She's been on with me a few times. In fact, most recently, a couple of weeks ago, there was so much to talk about. We said we'd do it again uh, quickly and she's back. She's worked as an NHS nurse. I've told you before, she's recruited, she's educated, very experienced working now in private practice in Portugal. And during her journey, I hate that cliche, but during her time as a nurse, she began to look at um, holistic methods of of healing, looking at diet, looking at energy, looking at naturopathic 
methods of healing and methodologies. And that's been a really interesting journey for her. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. Last time she was on, we talked a little bit about germ theory, terrain theory. We talked a bit about electromagnetic smog. And we talked about stress and the impact it has on your immune system. Let's welcome back to the programme, uh, Jenny Lowe's. Jenny, welcome back. How are you? Hi, Richie. I'm good, thank you. How are you? I'm great and sincere. Thanks for your time. I know you're busy and uh, I really appreciate you doing it. Did you catch that clip of Bill Gates speaking over the weekend, lamenting that the Omicron strain was doing what viruses or pathogens have done for millennia, actually giving people immunity and that it was beating the vaccines? Did you catch that? I did, yes. And it's kind of what the experts, not not their experts, but the other experts were saying at the beginning, (laughs) is that natural immunity and letting it run with a weaker strain would be the way out of it. So, yeah, he was just saying what people were saying two years ago, really. Yes. And it's almost like forget about the vaccines. Forget about the vaccines now. (laughs) And yet yet the JCVI has said that there's a fourth one and a fifth one coming for the vulnerable. I'm not a bully. This isn't a bully pulpit. You might have heard some of my monologue. You might not. If you feel I'm being unfair, tell me. I'm wide open to it. I have no time for this vulnerable thing. I have no time for it. I, I'm not a selfish man. I'm not a great man. I'm not a perfect man. I'm, I'll do anything for anybody if I can, Jenny. I am not going to curtail my life um, on the off chance that a stranger or anybody else might escape a virus. I'm not going to do it. I think it's tantamount to madness. Now, there are those who would say that I'm selfish, that in, you know, in a proper community where people look out for one another, I would wear a mask and I would stay indoors if I sneezed. Am I am I being an idiot or, or how do you see this? I don't think you're being an idiot. I think that um, people have a responsibility for their own health and we are all autonomous beings. And if someone is vulnerable, clinically vulnerable, and they're a high-risk group, then they w- will already modify their life anyway to account for that. And any virus or bacteria or pathogen that they Um, come into contact with may make them sick so covid should be treated no differently and the way i kind of see it if you're um if we're going on the germ theory uh way of looking at things if you're sick and you're uh, symptomatic then you're likely maybe more likely to be infected i.e you have a higher viral load and if you feel sick the last thing you're doing is going out anyway so um really there's no sense to locking people up any further or restricting people any further, in my opinion. Um, I think that if you're vulnerable and you ha- you are a high risk, then there are things that you can do to help improve your immune system and metabolic health. And that will be much more beneficial than me wearing a mask. Fair enough. We'll, yeah. we'll come back to some of these themes, no doubt, during the, the conversation. But, but I'd like to start with your own journey, which we've not really gotten into because You've had very responsible roles with the National Health Service in nursing and in recruitment. But at some stage, you began to look a, a, a little bit differently on, on, on other healing methods or practices. When was that exactly? Was there a specific moment you remember when you began to think, well, maybe there's more to health than, than I've been trained to think there is? Well, when I was at high school, I did a subject that was called home economics. And in home economics, there was quite a big section on nutrition. So it's always been an interest of mine. 
And I didn't particularly look after myself when I was younger, like a lot of, uh, you know, late teens, early 20s don't. And I was obviously started working as a nurse. Um, But my nurse training was very humanistic. So from that side of uh, things, it was very good. And then um, I worked in critical care for maybe 14 years, I think it was in total. I worked in surgery, vascular surgery and colorectal. And then I worked in critical care. And then I moved over to Portugal. And in between that time, my health was was pretty good. I was young and, you know, I got the occasional flu or whatever, but I was I was pretty well during that period. But when I was younger, when I was 10, I had um, quite a nasty bike accident and knocked my teeth. I didn't knock them out. I actually knocked them up into my, my jaw again. Right. And it was quite a traumatic thing, obviously. My, I was 10, I was heading into adolescence and I had no front teeth. It wasn't very, uh, very cool. But anyway, after that, I I think I went quite in into myself. And I always wanted to be a nurse anyway, and I wanted to help people. So I went off to do my nurse training. But all the way through my childhood, I'd had recurrent tonsillitis. I was always getting sick. And I had a lot of um, antibiotics during that time. And then when I was, I think I was about 19, I had a IBS diagnosis that I had irritable bowel and I was lactose intolerant. And that was after um, uh, an episode of gastroenteritis after eating a dodgy pizza. And I then I really looked at changing my diet and I always cooked like home cooked foods and I didn't eat much takeaways or things like that. But like many people my age, I drank probably too much and partied a lot. And then, um, like I say, from sort of 21 onwards up until about 34, I was pretty healthy. I did uh, taekwondo, I did jujitsu, I ran, I went to the gym. I, I was pretty healthy during that time. And then I had two children and we moved to Portugal. And I arrived in Portugal and we we ended up deciding to build a house in a foreign country that we didn't speak the language of. Lovely. And it was quite stressful, obviously, with two very young children. And also wine here is super cheap. It's like <laughs> two euros a litre is nice. And uh, the food is quite rich. And I was eating lots. And I started to drink coffee and I'd never drunk coffee before. And I was drinking espressos. And I was also working in recruitment then and I was traveling a lot. So I was working in a lot of different time zones and uh, entertaining our customers and taking them out for dinner and things like that. And I got to a point where I was having um, reflux all the time. And I, like a very good nurse, I left it for 18 months and eventually went to the doctors. You did, nothing, have, you did nothing for 18 months. You have this no, acid thing and that's awful. You didn't think it was an ulcer. They always say it's an ulcer, don't they? Even if it yeah. is or isn't. You didn't think that. Um, I didn't think it was an ulcer. I thought that I just had a bit of reflux and I needed to yeah. sort my diet out. Anyway, I went to the doctors and they they gave me an endoscopy, which was the most traumatic experience I've ever had because they didn't use any anaesthetic or anything. He just tried to shove the endoscopy down my throat. Jesus. Uh, and as it turned out, I had quite severe esophagitis. So my whole esophagus was like, esophagus was red raw. And what it was, was I had a hiatus hernia. So my, um, st- my stomach was pushing up through my diaphragm. And it wasn't that I had too much acid. What it was, was the acid was not in my stomach. It was pushing up to my esophagus and it was burning it. So he, uh, the doctor put me on omeprazole, sent me off. And for 18 months, I took the omeprazole. And I didn't know, really, that you shouldn't ever be taking that stuff long term. Right, hang on, hang right on now. This is good. This is, I, this is why I love this show. There are <laughs> hundreds of millions of people around the world 
taking omeprazole. I have a prescription for omeprazole, but I hardly ever use it at all. And I've heard previously, I can't remember who said it, I think it might have been a, a doctor who's into homeopathy, that long-term ingestion of omeprazole, which hundreds of millions of people around the world are taking, that's not an exaggeration, can be very serious. So, wow, what a time to talk about this. Why shouldn't you take it for, you know, because some people are on it for life. Yeah, if you've got a, if you've got a known stomach ulcer and you've got esophagitis, probably a short term um, <coughs> dose of omeprazole won't right. do you much harm. Sorry, <coughs> um, but longer term, what it does is it reduces the amount of stomach acid that you're producing. So, like I said in the last show, when you don't have good enough stomach acid and enzymes, food passes through the stomach uh, into the small intestine in an undigested state. And if you've got a dysbiosis uh, there where you've got an imbalance of the microbiome, the food then doesn't break down properly and it putrefies and then you get problems with small intestine bacterial overgrowth and things like that. Right. So which could, which, could lead, which could lead to what? Um, well, it can lead to nutritional deficiencies. It can lead to horrible symptoms such as diarrhea, bloating, right. uh, cramping. It can lead to autoimmune disease because the lining of the gut becomes... Um, weak and it starts to open and you get proteins and undigested food molecules molecules that are going into the bloodstream and then your body sees that as a foreign invader Toxic, and yeah. it mounts an immune response so if you've got a long-term problem um you can get really serious nutritional deficiencies and um it can lead also to cancer because you've got abnormal cell growth in the, in the intestine so long-term use of omeprazole really isn't a good thing um, and if you have been taking omeprazole for a long time, the best thing that you can do is a dietary change. So this is kind of where I'm leading into. So yeah. um, I ended up, I took it for 18 months and then I decided to do the body coach. I don't know if you've heard of the body coach, Joe Wicks. He yes. was very, like, maybe it was in 2014 or something like that. And that is very much um, protein based and you t time your carbohydrates and you cut out all sugar. I cut out all stimulants and alcohol for three months and I completely changed the way I exercise because I used to run quite a lot then. But then I started to do different weight training and yeah. CrossFit and things like that. Um, but that really made me look at the way in which the modern diet is and how the fitness industry were looking at it. And it was really the fitness industry that has opened a lot of people's eyes to diet and nutrition. And it's not always correct, the advice that's given out, but people are much more conscious about their bodies, how they look, than to how it's functioning. So the, the fitness industry, I think, has done quite well in opening people's eyes into how you can eat a better diet than the, like, the modern Western one that we eat, really. Now, and you, so for three months, no stimulants, no alcohol and no sugar. Yeah, uh, within a month, I was off my omeprazole and I never went back on it again. And I occasionally, if I'm a little bit stressed, I occasionally get that uh, feeling again of indigestion and things like that. But I know that that's because I'm a bit stressed that day and that I just right. need to take it easy and like, you know, relax a little bit. So... Again, like I was saying last time, we've uh, become not very good at interpreting what our body is telling us, and we tend to block things very well. So so what happened then, okay, after that was um, 
I went through a further very stressful period in 2017, which was a, a long-term relationship breakdown. And that was very difficult. And I, I left with my two children and it was not easy as any relationship breakdown is. Um, but I was like on full alert fight flight for about 18 months. And I felt like I was like superwoman. And I bought a house and I renovated it. And I did so much during that time. And I was still working full time. I was looking after the kids and I was looking after myself a lot better. So health wise, I was actually pretty good. And then um, all of a sudden I crashed and it was just like my body just couldn't take anymore. And I was having recurrent urine infections and I ended up taking those antibiotics that I talked about last time. And they uh, what developed afterwards was like problems with my tendons and um, chronic fatigue and muscle pain and uh, mood imbalance and things like that. So from that and healing from that, I've learned a lot about what you can do and what you can try and the different causes and why and it all makes so much sense now that you can you can be in good health and not be doing the best things for your body but you can be managing well until an event happens or something happens that just tips you over the edge and that's how we describe like it's like as a rain barrel so imagine you're a rain barrel that's collecting water from the roof and what's going into the rain barrel is everything from your internal and external environment. And at some point, if you don't take care of the rain barrel or you don't empty it enough um, or you don't look after it, it's going to overfill and it's going to start causing some problems to the ground around it and the structure of the rain barrel. And if you imagine that our, our vessels, our bodies are a rain barrel and we're constantly getting things put into us all the time from our food, from our water, from the environment, from our thought processes, from electromagnetic fields, from antibiotics and pharma medication, and we're getting bombarded all the time. And our body is, you know, it's a sophisticated system. It works well. Our, our liver can process a lot of the stuff that we do every day to a point. And if we're not looking after ourselves, we will at some point uh, come up with some ill health. And the three main things that um, I've learned that support your body system and your neurological system and everything else is diet, sorting out diet, sorting out emotional balance and looking at stress. And if you manage to get those three things under control and functioning well, you are in a good state then to be able to heal from any past uh, injury or ill health or trauma or just optimize yourself really. Um, so going back to kind of my story is that I, uh, then started to think, well, I'm learning all this stuff. I really need to put it into a formal qualification. So I studied a nutritional diploma and then I did an integrative health uh, practitioner course with Stephen Cabral. And Stephen Cabral's got a bit of a similar story to me, much more extreme. Um, but he had very, very poor health um, of his own. And he was getting so fed up with the modern conventional method that was just giving him more and more and more pills that he went looking at the age of 19 himself and he became a naturopathic doctor and he's got tons of experience. Um, and he very much looks at uh, the picture like this. It's very much from the Ayurvedic form of medicine is that it's looking at uh, what you're putting in and also how well your elimination systems are working. So 
what I had to do was I had to, I did heavy metal clearances. I looked at my metabolic and mitochondrial health. I supplemented. I did lots of different tests, which finally led me to the root cause, which was that I had a mold overgrowth in my intestine. So when I look back and I go back and I think, when would I have been exposed to mold? When I first moved to Portugal, I was living in an apartment that was kind of half dug into a rock. And we had a terrible mold problem because it's so humid here. Damp, yeah. So mold can cause so many problems for people. And if that gets overgrown in your intestine, uh, lots of people with chronic fatigue or many people with chronic fatigue may have issues with mold overgrowth. And it can make you feel like you permanently have flu-like symptoms and feel very tired. And it can fluctuate as well. So, But all of these things you can deal with on the whole with diet and diet can be used therapeutically as well as kind of maintenance you know um with nutrition and with phytonutrients and with vitamins and minerals and you can really support the body system but we have to diet is the very first thing it's the way we fuel ourselves so well jenny can i just jump in there because this is obviously fascinating and the comments are flying in we'll get to them in a few minutes i i understand that um or I've come to understand over the years, most of what's really not good for us happens to have really addictive qualities. And yeah. um, the food, like a lot of the, the, the when, when I say fast food, I don't necessarily mean from the chippy down the road, but, you know, supermarkets are basically, um, whole, uh, sorry, retailers now are fast food. You know, you go in, you'll get a dinner. Um, sometimes they'll be microwavable. Sometimes they'll be, heat them up in the oven and you'll take them. And there's something I believe very fundamentally addictive about this stuff that, that makes it very difficult for people to wean themselves off and move to something else. And they might try for a day, two, three or even a week, but then they fall back into eating that food again. I see a lot of that. Yeah, well, I think one thing I noticed when I came to Portugal, actually, was that, you know, the Mediterranean diet obviously is a lot healthier than the, the standard Western diet. Uh, but the one thing that I noticed very much was that in their supermarkets, they did they don't have that much convenience food. No. So, you know, you can walk into Sainsbury's and there's probably eight aisles that are all convenience food or yeah. more. Uh, in Portugal, they don't have many uh, microwave or meals. They tend to cook a lot from scratch. And even around here, you know, there's lots of restaurants that do takeaways and things like that. And they've always got fresh soup. They eat a lot of beans and uh, cabbage and they eat a lot of olives and things like that. So they eat a lot of whole food, but they also have a serious sugar addiction. And a lot of those ready meals are high in sugar. They're high in salt and they're usually quite high in fat as well. So right. they they give you a lot of uh, satiety. You know, they fill you up and people, they're convenient. And that's that's the problem is that people have got so used to convenience or we've had to rely on convenience and what is presented to us is that you know if you're a, a stressed out working mum and you're up at six in the morning and you don't get back till five and you've got to cook a meal from scratch you know it's not easy all the time I, I understand that and, but ready meals have got a little bit better some of the some of the ready meals are not as bad as you know when ready meals first came out and the, the microwave lasagnas and things like that but some of the ready meals now that you can get are a bit better than they used to be. So, do you think government intervention is justified here, in terms yes. of in terms of you know compelling these firms to m minimise the salt and and sugar content? Do you think the state should step in? Uh, 
I think there should be a lot more warning and education about it for yeah. sure. And people should understand and start checking labels and things like that. Because as we said before, uh, a lot of inflammation and problems with health is caused by refined vegetable and seed oils and um, sugar. So processed sugar. So anything that's got sunflower oil in canola oil or soya oil or sunflower or vegetable and they've got sugar in that's like a really bad combination there are the things that people should absolutely try and avoid um and i know it's not always easy because people want to reach for something that's um accessible and they can eat it fast and it it restores their energy again but there are a lot of things that we can do and the easiest thing to do is to strip everything back and just think whole foods all the time. So all these diets, you know, you hear the paleo diet, the keto diet, veganism, all the different kind of branches. And people associate more with one or another, or it's like what they want to eat. But really, if you just, what we need is to go back to when I was at school and we were doing home economics and we were teaching people to how to put meals together. Yeah. Like you don't need recipes. You need to learn how to cook vegetables and cook them how in lots of different ways that you like and you need to be able to uh, combine foods that you like and cook meat in a certain way or fish in a certain way if you want to eat fish or meat or and it's the way that learning and how to prepare those whole foods is the key to getting your diet sorted out and having fun with it as well you know because people don't really like cooking that much anymore they see it almost as a chore some people do some people like cooking a lot but during the week when people are busy it's difficult and i think that we need to get very much back into a seasonal pattern again and sustainable sources of food so i'm lucky where i live i've got a massive fruit and veg market that's on every single day i've got a fish market that's on every day and you can get pretty decent meat that's gr that's reared locally and it's grass-fed and you know they they say that they don't give them much it's not pure organic but it's as organic as you're going to get without it being labeled organic so i'm i'm quite lucky you know we've got seafood that comes straight out of the the sea nearby and we have a good selection so we don't need convenience quite so much but you said you said got, seasonal hold, hold that thought from you said eat seasonal food S somebody i won't mention his name but somebody said to me a few years back and i thought he was barking mad he said to me, and he's somebody with, you know, a good knowledge of, of healing, natural health. And he said to me, Jenny, he said, uh, you shouldn't eat lettuce in the winter in, in the UK or in Ireland. And I thought he was mad. And I said, why not? And he said, because you don't digest it properly when you eat it in the winter. It, it, you don't get from lettuce what you ordinarily would get at another time of the year. And he didn't. He couldn't go much further than that. I think it had been passed on to him by somebody else. And he said, it'll just kind of kind of rot and kind of languish in your system. You won't digest it properly. Is there any truth to that in your own, in your own studies? There actually probably is a little bit of truth in that because there was a study done where um, a community lived mainly on vegetables and uh, things from the, the land during the summer the spring and summer and then during winter they would mainly eat meat and they tested their gut bacteria and the diversity in their gut and they had more diversity during the summer when they weren't eating much animal produce right. they had a different and it flexes as well the the balance changes too so there are, probably is some 
you know. There's some, some nugget of truth yeah, in there, yeah. In what he said. Let I me don't just, know. Sorry, Jane, let me just, i got to remind our listeners uh, what's happening. We've got uh, Jenny Lowe's on the programme, very experienced nurse, NHS trained, uh, has worked in uh, education for the NHS recruitment, is in private practice in Portugal now, um, talked about her experiences in, uh, I won't say alternative health, complementary health uh, courses that she's done and qualified in, uh, very interested in nutrition and diet. You can find her on her website, Genius with a J, so it's J-E-N-I-U-S, you see. I think some people saw it last time. Jesus, she thinks pretty highly of herself there. Oh. Genius, <laughs> yeah, genius dot life, no. yeah. It's not G. No, but I have, I have a bit of J and G dyslexia, yeah. even though my name starts with a J, and you'd think that I'd have nailed it by now, but I get the, I always get them mixed up. So, yeah, I do apologise for that. I wasn't blowing my own trumpet. No, J-E-N-I-U-S dot life. You'll find Jenny on Twitter as well. At one, the number one, at one mirror, uh, 1978 at one mirror 1978 give uh, Jenny a follow there um, I, I interrupted you you were just about to say something when you do I'm going to read a few comments then go back to what you were saying there I can't remember I know I, I, I jumped I jumped right into the middle of your train of thought but let, let me let me do a couple of quick questions right um, Wes in Alabama comments even let's be honest the government is shoving literally poison down people's arms what are the bleeding chances they're going to regulate uh, good food? It's not going to happen. The government is not going to regulate the corporations. Angela says it's very easy to cook simply. My easiest fast food is a piece of fish baked in the oven with a mountain of peas. Uh, thanks, uh, Angela. Alex says school isn't for life skills. This is more than half the problem with our education system already. That's interesting. It's an interesting point that uh, Jenny did home economics. When I went to high school, there was a home economics course available to boys and girls age 13 if they wanted it. It was mostly girls who took up the offer, it must be said. But it was there. I don't know if, um, if um, say it for me, if that uh, is, is still the case, if it's still on offer there. Alice says hyperbaric or hyperbaric chambers are the answer to health, says Alice. A session a month will stop you having illness. Oxygen is life. Loads of interest in this. Karen says, as a nurse herself, nurses are the worst patients and the worst at looking after themselves. Why is that? You think you'd know better. I mean, back in the day... I don't. I know. I don't know. I'm terrible. I, I'd much rather sort everybody else out first than myself. I don't know why. Which will contribute. <laughs> which will contribute to uh, the stress, won't yeah. it? Um, there's, there's, there's lots. It's, it's coming up for four minutes past six. Look at this, my God! As uh, the time is flying already. There's more we want to get into. You wanted to talk about um, what you call medical dogma, and how how integrative health is a departure from uh, medical dogma. Um, uh, you know, body medicine, functional medicine. Uh, wh- why do we say complementary medicine? Do you think there are signs? Maybe, th- maybe with the last two years, maybe, maybe there are not signs. But before that, I, I thought there were signs that um, doctors and even institutions like the NHS were becoming a kind of little bit more open-minded about complementary therapies. Or am I imagining that? Uh, they're a little bit more open-minded than they were, but you won't get offered much more than a dietitian's appointment, which is very different to a nutritional appointment, right. by the way. And you might get aromatherapy or acupuncture if you're lucky. Yeah, you might get aromatherapy if you're in palliative care. 
you might get some like animal therapy in some places but it's not it's not the norm you in some hospices maybe you get a bit more uh treatments like massage and things like that and they might be a bit more open to it within like the hospices but within the actual acute services you you don't get that much complementary medicine but really all medicine dates back to the ayurvedic medicine which was kind of the first documented theory on healing and on health and all of the the medicine kind of themes that have come from that have come from ayurveda but the modern medical model or the central medical dogma that we have now is only really is quite new in the the whole scheme of time and the pharma model's only really been more prominent since the second world war so it's a very very short amount of time that we've put a lot of faith into the the central medical dogma and the modern medicine model and seem to have like discounted and forgot about all the not alternative because they were actually the standard before is that deliberate um, so, was it was, i hear rockefeller all the time yes the rockefeller foundation having yes. a huge influence in changing course you know, globally in terms of how people approach their health. Is that right? Yeah, well, definitely after the First World War and the Spanish flu, there was a lot of crackdown on natural and alternative medicine and a much more of a push towards standard medicine training and the pharma model. And then again, like you say, particularly after the Second World War, the Rockefellers really uh, went to war against the complementary therapists and a lot of them were discredited or locked up or you know their their work was destroyed and they weren't allowed to practice so that's only really happened if you think about it in the last 70 years so it's it's not very long no. but it's in our lifetime all we know is our contact with the health service has been the modern medical model that we see now so the central medical dogma really is focused on that you can't alter your genes and that we're kind of victims of hereditary and that there's a unilateral flow. But if we master our environment, we can absolutely change the readout of our genes or the way those genes express themselves. So we touched a little bit on this when we spoke before. Yeah. But the, the best analogy that I've heard about this, about epigenetics and how it's so important, no, you can't alter your actual blueprint of the DNA, but you can alter very well the way in which you give the gene the, the ability to express. So I've heard this explained like this, that imagine you've got a script for a Hollywood blockbuster uh, movie. And on paper, it's just words. You know, it, it reads like a very nice script, but it's just words. And you've got two major Hollywood stars, and they're their big stars. But to get that movie into the cinemas, you need a big support crew. So the two, for every two Hollywood stars that you've got, you might need 98 other workers that help put that play into production or that movie into production. And that's like our bodies. Our, our genes, there's 2% that express uh, genes that code for protein. The other 98 are the support crew. And that's things like signals, different proteins, um, different chemical messengers, different receptors and things like that. And the way in which that it organizes and it then expresses. And that's where disease comes in. Not, I'm not talking about hereditary diseases that are fixed and are passed down, but this is where disease comes in. And people will say, oh, well, heart disease runs in my family. Yeah. Well, if people eat uh, they have these genetic variabilities and they're putting them under the same conditions. So 
they might be working the same job or eating the same food or living in the same environment, then there's a good chance that those genes are going to express in the same way as if then if you change things, you know, if you if you were totally different, then maybe you've got a better chance that those genes won't express in a way that leads to disease. So you think it's kind of not proven then, this notion that something can run in a family. You're not saying it's not true, but you're saying it might not be true. There, there, there's evidence to the contrary. Because I've well, heard this are, a thousand times. Richie, you're cancer, there's loads of cancer in your family. You, you're, you're a real risk, Richie, because grandfather and granduncles, they've all had it. You'll probably get it, but maybe not. Uh, it, there are some genes like the BRA1C gene, the breast cancer gene, that will give you a much higher risk, and that's a hereditary gene. But say, for example, you have uh, two generations that have died of bowel cancer. Yes, you probably have a higher risk because you are you will have inherited their epigenetic code when you were conceived. But then you can change your environment to give your genes a better way of expressing it. So, yes, there is absolutely ways in which you can undo your genetic or hereditary. And it's still right to ask what's your past medical history and your family history, because you can see where you're predisposed to. But if you did genetic testing, you could probably find out where those, they're called SMPs, are on your genetics. And then you could say, okay, well, uh, this gene means that I don't produce as much nitric oxide, or it's difficult for me to produce as much nitric oxide, which leads me to a higher risk of high blood pressure. And therefore, that leads me to a higher risk of heart disease. But if I make sure that I always provide my body with the tools that it needs to make nitric oxide, then I won't lead to that disease. Does right. that make sense? It does make sense. And at the same time, you're saying that I'm thinking of it, of so-called advances in modern medicine. They're talking about, so we have these, these mRNA jabs, which we're very concerned about. You, you know more about it than I do, but I, I'm a journalist. I can read. So I wouldn't touch one with a barge pole. But they're also talking about DNA jabs. They're talking about jabs they can give people that will edit their genes. So those who are, you know, predisposed or might be predisposed to certain illnesses or they have those markers that you talked about. If they take these new jabs, they might be okay. Now, I don't like the sound of that. But what you've suggested is that might actually be possible. Uh, Well, CRISPR is they can remove parts of the DNA and they can cut out and then replace with another piece of Lego, DNA Lego, the bit that is faulty. Um, But when we're talking about like the DNA basically is just four letters of the alphabet. It's A, C, G and T. And in our genetic code, we have three letter words. And then in between those three letter words, which code for proteins, we have lots of gobbledygook that they used to think was junk. But actually, they now know it's not junk. And if you have a certain pattern um, that is a genetic variant within that code, then you can be more prone to disease. So there's one very well known that lots of people have already heard about, a genetic variant that's called the MTHFR gene. And they they estimate about 20% of the population have MTHFR. And if you've inherited that um, and you've got the four mutations you um, are at high risk of autoimmune disease. There's a high risk of schizophrenia and having children with autism or having mental health problems because that 
variation in that gene means it makes it very difficult to metabolize and use B vitamins, which are very important for lots of different processes, but also to uh, detoxify. So it makes it very difficult to get rid of toxins. So someone with MTHFR with medication and uh, exposed to lots of environmental toxins and things like that may have a lot of problems in the future if they don't improve their methylation in different ways. And you can absolutely do that. You can alter that epigenetic code that means that that gene then expresses itself for health rather than for illness. Um, but the MTHFR is one that people should, if they have health problems, especially autoimmune problems and things like that, they should go and research a little bit into MTHFR because it explains a lot. And I found out that I had MTHFR by accident. And this was when I was delving into why I had such a bad reaction to that antibiotic, uh, ciprofloxacin. I found out completely by accident. So we've gone back a little bit to the kind of like how I started down the rabbit hole. And that was one of the moments that I'd, I read, um, it was a forum reply and someone had like said in the forum reply, have you looked at whether you are MTHFR variant? And I thought that sounds interesting. So I went off and I looked into it and uh, my mum had had um, a DNA test, an ancestry test. And as part of that ancestry test, you can look, you can request your genetic uh, medical information and I opened it up and on there was that there was a genetic variant now you get one copy from your mother and one copy for your father so it's you know highly likely although I haven't tested it's highly likely that I am MTHFR and what I needed and this is what I discovered later when I tested is that I had some quite serious vitamin B deficiencies that weren't picked up on blood tests and I feel so much better like now compared to when I was 16 and I had I felt like I had a lot of fatigue, but I just thought it was normal. Didn't know any different then. Uh, I have more energy now than I think I've ever had. And my brain definitely communicates a lot more, a lot better than it used to. It, it feels like it's much more joined up now. And I never knew that I had to take such high doses of B vitamins, but I have to take, you know, over 2000 percent over the recommended dose just to to make sure that I have enough to retain enough for it, yeah. for it to work yeah for. and I feel so much better and look like it's 20 percent of the population that could be walking around like that and essentially the environment is toxic and poisonous to them and those people have a lot of problems with uh, retaining toxins and heavy metals and things like that which can also lead to lots of health problems Jenny when we spoke a couple of weeks back. Um, the, the thing that, that came out of that, I, I get, uh, after any show, I get a lot of emails about the guests and what they said. We talked about stress and the impact stress has on all of this. And quite a few people got back to me to say, Richie, it, the people are exposed on a daily basis to television news programs, to radio news, to newspapers constantly uh, throwing at them very negative information, whether it's we're on the verge of war, uh, Russians are cyber attacking us all the time, now they're going to invade Ukraine, whether it's COVID is going to kill us all and don't hug granny because you might kill her and you better lock down, or whether it's we, we, we've got to reach net zero or we're all going to die, all that sort of stuff. And I think that the gist of what people were telling me was was that they really understood what you were saying and they, they they believed that someone knows somewhere that this is 
how people will be impacted by exposure to this type of information. And that's why we get little other than that type of information. No matter what you do, you go on Twitter, you go on Facebook, it's negative information. It's telling people they're, they're, they're racist or they're bigoted or they're homophobic or transphobic or you're not doing this, you're not doing that, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. It's just never-ending, it's relentless. And a lot of people listening to this programme empathise with your emphasis on stress and the part it plays on our health, but they were quick to say, it's got to be deliberate, this. It, it must uh, be. Well, I think it is, actually. And if you think back, let's go back 150 years, there might have been a few newspapers around and people would write letters and things like that, but you were just in your environment and you were your reality was your reality. But now then it, it went from newspapers to radio, from radio to TV, from TV to phones, from phones to and the internet. And, you know, now we've got 24-7 constant information. That's just all the time. And it's definitely firing our brains. And the way in which we spoke about this last time, about how your subconscious is more or less formed until you're seven, and then it goes through a bit of a pruning process when you're an adolescent, and then you reconnect to your prefrontal cortex. And then things that have been pre-programmed in us up to the age of seven, then when things happen in later life, we reinforce those feelings and behaviours and um, what we do when we're exposed to that stress or, or that environment. And we're very much in a left brain society now. And I don't know if you've ever heard of someone called Jill Bolte-Taylor. I don't know if I've mentioned her before. Well, if you have, I'm embarrassed because no, I don't uh, think so. She's an incredible neuroscientist and she was always interested in mental health and things like that. And at the age, I think she was in her 40s, she had a massive left brain stroke. And what she said was, there's a brilliant TED talk. In fact, I think it was one of the first TED talks that ever happened. And it's the, one of the best TED talks I've ever seen because it's so full of emotion. And what she was saying was that um, she had the stroke and her left brain was saying to her, you have to phone an ambulance, you have to get yourself to hospital, you're going to die, you need to sort yourself out. But because her left brain was kind of being taken over by a clot, her right brain kept kicking in and she kept thinking that she was in utopia and that she was right here, right now in the moment. And that she said it was wonderful there. There was no thinking in her left brain at all. So, And then she said occasionally she'd come back online again, like a survival had come in and the, her brain would say to her, come on now, you've got to move and you've got to phone the ambulance. And then she said she remembered that she could pick up the phone, but then she had to try and dial a number and she couldn't remember the number that she just dialed. And it took her half an hour to dial her wow. brother, I think she dialed, or the ambulance. And she said in that time, she kept slipping in and out of right and left brain. And she said being in the right brain was just like amazing. It was just like centered and that your soul is expanding and you're in that present moment. And you're not thinking about the past or the future at all. You're just in that moment. And that's the moment where our parasympathetic kink kicks in and we relax 
and we are just that one. And we've all had those times where we've had so much fun or we've been doing something that you get totally immersed in the moment. And that's where the sweet spot is. That's where the spot of healing is, is to get yourself into that right brain as much as possible. And unfortunately, especially the last two years, everything that we've seen around us, even when you leave the house and you see somebody in a mask, is all triggering the left brain, always triggering, triggering. And it's looking at past emotions and it's applying guilt and shame and like just negative connotations to think, fear, anger, all those low vibrational energies. And that left brain keeps us locked in that. And people say that the left brain is masculine and that the right brain is feminine. But in reality, we all have a feminine and a masculine brain. It's just that our our sex, our biological sex tends to uh, focus down which way we are more inclined to be. So the left thinking brain is very much ego-centered and it's I am and it's about control and rules and logic. But the right brain is much more uh, sensory and it's like a, a knowing, just like an inner knowing, really. Could that explain... How do I phrase this? Could that explain why it seems anyway an increasing amount of people are identifying as the opposite sex to which they were born? Could that be playing some part, even small, the, the left brain, right brain dynamic? It could be, yeah, it could, it could be, definitely. But I think that's very much something that's been popularised and it's been very exposed as yeah, well. So. There is that. No, I agree with that, yeah. But for, And you then, know, yeah. I mean, someone did say to me once, perhaps it's something to do with them putting stem fetal cells in vaccines. But I don't know if that, that that's a uh, naturopath said that to me, but I don't know if that it has anything to do with it or not. Um, this is where I normally jump all over you and say there's no evidence that there's any baby cells in vaccines. But of course there is. And it's, you know, it's not even a secret. They've acknowledged this. Um, why would you do that? It makes can- well, they, it makes they, cannibals they, out of people, does it? I mean, well, that might sound ridiculous, but to me it does. Well, say that again, sorry. Putting fetal matter into a jab and then sticking it in somebody. You're making a cannibal out of them. Well, technically, technically. Uh, from what I understand it is, the cell line was taken from stem cells from a fetus way back in 1974. And that cell line remains in the vaccines that we see today. So it's not like new fetal no, stem you. cells every t- in every vaccine, but the cell line has been used from the 70s. That's how I understand it anyway. Uh, it's not something I've looked into in a lot of detail, actually. Um, I looked into it a little bit and I thought, actually, that could make a little bit of sense um, that that might be might lead people to be more predisposed. Um, I don't want to say the wrong thing because you have to be so politically correct. (laughs) Not on this programme, you don't. You can say what you want. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so it could have something to do with it, but I don't know. But maybe your listeners have have um, have some opinions on that. But if we go back to the, the right brain and left brain again, is that. Every time you switch the TV on, like you say, and there's a war going on, and it's it's not even in your reality, it's somewhere else. And we don't even know if what we're seeing is definitely the truth, as you know. Yeah. So there is most definitely manipulation of trying to keep us in our amygdala, which is our left brain amygdala, because we have a right amygdala and a left amygdala. And actually, they're called the lizard brain interestingly. And that's where you have your four Fs, they call it. So your fight, flight, food and fornication. That's where those 
centres come from, from your right and left brain. And they've been trying to keep us in that, I think, for a very long time. They've been trying to keep us functioning in our, in our amygdala. And what happens is if we are functioning in our amygdala, we're firing off stress hormones and uh, processes that we don't need to be doing. And that's why, actually, we have such a high calorie requirement, I think, because we our brains are constantly switched on and firing. And to make hormones and uh, enzymes and things like that it takes a lot of energy and it takes a lot of uh, processes to do that. So if we're constantly in fight flight all the time, even if we don't recognize it, imagine you're, uh, you go to work every day and you commute for an hour. And you've got a, a business meeting that you've got to get by half nine and the trains are late. As soon as the train's late, you flick into a, a fight flight kind of situation where you're thinking, oh, my boss is going to be really mad with me because I'm going to be late again for the third time this week. And, and it's this constant loop. And every time we're thinking about things like that, we're firing off chemicals that we really don't need to be doing. And I heard something that was really interesting, and it's actually uh, this Jill Bolt-Taylor that said it. She says, you have 90 seconds. So something happens in your environment, your, your senses pick it up, it sends a signal to your brain and you start to think. And when you start to think, that's when your chemical messengers get released and then you get the pattern of the, the stress hormones and what it's doing to your body. And you have 90 seconds until your body is able to get rid of that circulatory um, stress hormones in your body, 90 seconds. So if you switch yourself off after 90 seconds and you consciously say to yourself, it's all right, it's not a threat, um, this situation is safe, is everything is okay, then you can calm your brain down consciously and you can switch off those uh, chemicals. But say you're angry about something and you're worried and angry and stressed out about something and you keep thinking the same thought over and over and over again, you're just constantly sending a stream of you know, things that you don't need to be there in your body. And then that does physiological things to you, but it also makes you behave in a certain way. So we all know someone that's got a trigger temper and they fire straight away and it's just unnecessary. And that's how we have to learn to calm our left amygdala and our left brain. And we have to be very much in the right brain and meditation and doing things that you really enjoy helps that a lot. And one of the really big things that helps with uh, our parasympathetic, so our sympathetic is our fight flight response and our parasympathetic is what calms it down. And that is mainly through our vagus nerve and breathing really helps control the vagus nerve. So meditation. Yeah, and there's one way of breathing that I like to teach my clients because I think it really helped me, and that's the five-six method. So if you breathe in for five through your nose and then you breathe out for six and breathe in for five and breathe out for six and keep repeating that, and then if you find your pulse, um, so maybe you can do it now with your listeners, but if you find your pulse and if you breathe in for five, so breathe in, one, two, three, four, five, and then breathe out for six. One, two, three, four, five, six. And then if you breathe in for five, but five beats of your pulse, so if you're feeling it and breathing at the same time, and then breathe out for six beats of your pulse, you will feel your heart rate speeding up when you breathe in, and when you breathe out, it slows down. 
And if you practice that every single day, just for a couple of minutes, when you're in a stressful situation, all you have to do is think, breathe. And as soon as you start to breathe, your body will kick into the parasympathetic mode and you'll start to relax. So I've experienced when I was not well, like I was at my worst, uh, I experienced some quite extreme anxiety that I'd never, ever experienced before. And I don't think unless you've experienced it, you can explain it that well. And it came on all of a sudden. And it was just like this this loop that I just couldn't get out of. And it was constant. And actually, my partner is very understanding and he's very good. And he, he used to say to me, go outside and stand in the mud. So I'd take my shoes off, my, my socks off, and I'd go outside and I'd stand in the mud and I'd balance myself on a tree and I'd breathe and I'd teach myself how to calm myself down. And before that, I'd be like walking around the house, cleaning, slamming doors, not slamming doors, but closing doors behind me and pacing up and down and just getting really stressed. But breath work is very, very underrated. And you can make some big strides in calming your sympathetic response with breath work. Jenny Lowe's is our guest. I'm going to read a few comments now. Find Jenny uh, via Twitter. It's at one the number one at one mirror 1978 go to genius.life j-e-n-i-u-s life. check her you say gen genius you say genius yeah. genius yeah okay genius it is like Gen. Gen- as in yeah of course yeah of course what's wrong with me that, that took me a while didn't it um do go to genius.life at one mirror 1978 now to the comments uh, there are legions of comments let's uh Right to the top there. Uh, Trevor has put a link on Comment Live to the Jill Bot Taylor, or Jim, Jill Bolt Taylor, is it, that you mentioned, yeah. the TED Talk. It's there. Uh, thank, I'll check that out myself later on. Uh, Pandora says, yes, cannibals indeed, when it comes to those uh, vaccines. And she's put some words there I can't pronounce, so I'll leave that one there for now. Amy says, just because it's only one baby doesn't make it right. Peter says, a lot of fetuses were disposed of until we got to that formula. I know that. I know Jenny knows that too. Isabel says, the right brain is our consciousness linked to our spirituality. The left brain is our ego, which survives and grows on fear. Uh, the more we use our left brain, the further away we are from our true self. Isabel agreeing with uh, Jenny there. Uh, Diane says, Jenny is so worth listening to. Amazing insights here. Thanks, Diane. Steve T has put a very long, but it looks like a very interesting post about the left and right-sided brain. It's too long for me to read, but you can find it there. So please uh, check it out at Comment Live on my website. Vernon Williams says, Richie, I've had mould problems in my house. I had pneumonia a few years ago and now have terrible digestive issues. I think I have SIBO and or mould toxicity. Uh, would Jenny recommend activated charcoal or bentonite clay to help me remove those toxins? They most definitely will help, but mould and a small intestine bacterial overgrowth, what happens is um, the bacteria create a film on the inside of your intestines. So uh, really you need a proper programme to identify what's the underlying cause and which is the best course of treatment. But what we usually do is that you use a biofilm disruptor to start off with, and then you use a charcoal or a zeolite to be able to grab hold of that because you can get rebound symptoms if you don't do that. So on its own, it probably won't do that much in removing the underlying cause, but there are courses of treatment that you can go on. And some of the plant-based 
preparations like oregano oil or allicin, which is from garlic, can be very successful. But it has to be done quite carefully because if you've got autoimmune issues underneath and uh, it's been a problem for quite a while, it might take three months or more to get on top of it. So it should it should be done with a professional guidance, really. Uh, that would be my advice. But the charcoal can help with removing toxins in general. But because mold and the small uh, the bacteria that sticks to the small intestine, you need to break that up first and then chelate it by getting something that will grab hold of it and then be able to eliminate it so that you don't get more problems with rebound. Because quite often with mold, when you're clearing mold out, you can then get the mold symptoms again, and that's quite that's not nice because you get flu-like symptoms again. Mold, and then eh? people sometimes stop treatment then because they think it's getting worse, but actually it's a process that you have to go through to, to get rid. But I would definitely do that under guidance, something like that. And removing mold from houses isn't so difficult if you know um, that it's there. That's interesting. Uh, the comment of the day goes to KJ, who says... Presumably it's a he. I've been on omeprazole for over 20 years. I'm not stopping drinking and eating curry. <laughs> End of story. It's worth it, says KJ. I don't know about that. Uh, Keen says, uh, wow, what a great knowledgeable uh, guest. Richard Kelly says, I'm not trying to be smart or sarcastic, but we live and we die. It's what we do in between that matters. And uh, in response to that, Jake says, yes, but we live longer and healthier by eating proper good food. Um, so yeah, it gives you more time to do things in between, says Jake. Uh, there, something ran through. Oh yes, yes, yes. I had an e two emails. Let me read them quickly and, and back to you then. First one was from Chris, who says, Richie, murder by injection by Eustace Mullins. Uh, that will tell you all you need to know about the medical monopoly by the Rockefeller Foundation. Thank you, Chris. And another one, it's funny this this coming in. I think I know who this is. I think it's somebody using a fake email address just to make me laugh. But it's a fair question. Um, a friend of mine has had many an argument with people on Twitter about things like colloidal silver. Um, my listeners are open to, you know, complementary medicine, naturopathic medicine, integrative medicine. Uh, Jenny, of course, they are. This program deals with these subjects. The mainstream doesn't. That's why they're interested in these subjects. It's, it's why they come here, I should say, at, at times. Friend of mine, great, 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 great guy, um, doesn't have much time for any of this. Fair enough, each to their own. But he argues a lot with people about things like colloidal silver. And he says, you've got to be absolutely barking mad to think that some solution with a little bit of silver in it, you know, could be beneficial to to people who are unhealthy or who are in need of, of, of medicine. And he says, I, I don't care that the Romans or Victorian England used this silver. To me, he says, it's just madness. What do you say? What, what, you, you've obviously come across colloidal silver. What do you think yeah. of it? I've used colloidal silver myself. I, I tried colloidal silver and I sometimes occasionally use it if my little boys have been, my little boys are not so little anymore, uh, if they've been swimming and they get a bit of earache or something like that or they've been in the sea or I sometimes drop a little bit of colloidal silver in and I, I've used it on wounds as well before. Successfully but, then, uh, by the sound Silver of it. has very good micro microbial properties, so antimicrobial properties, so they do actually use silver in dressing, in dressings, in the health service, so for wound dressings like leg ulcers and things like that, they might use silver. 
Isn't that interesting now? Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, this is this is genuinely my mate. It's not me. I'm wide open to this. And um, a guy I know quite well, he's probably listening to this, Darren in Salford, who's a pal of mine, big Salford Red Devils fan. Darren swears by it when it comes to even even things like um, lung problems and, and, and respiratory problems. He says that he's had success with it over the years. Yeah, I've heard people that nebulise it and things like that. It's not something I recommend to clients, but it's something that I know that people, people use. And it does have antimicrobial properties. So uh, there's definitely research out there that said that it, it can be beneficial in certain applications. Brilliant. Sure. It's a tw- what is it? It's 23 minutes to the top of the air. We've probably got about somewhere around 12 minutes left. With uh, with uh, Jenny, it's it, it genuinely has flown by. I can't believe it to be honest how quickly it's gone. But um, you wanted to talk about um, bringing together mind, body, and soul in in terms of overall well being and healing. You wanted to get into a bit of that. You know, we talked about stress already. You've, you've already touched on it, and how uh, mind, body, soul, how that links in with the microbiome, which we touched on last time you were on. Yeah. So the reason I wanted to talk about mind, body, soul a little bit, and I'll go back to my situation again, is that when I went through this process, I completely changed my diet. I took new supplements. I did lots of things. And I also cleaned out a lot of toxins and products that I used in my house. I stopped using fluoride. I started filtering water better and I did lots of things. And I felt a lot cleaner as such. And once I started to feel that way, I noticed that I was much more in tune with my body. And when I started learning a bit more about Ayurveda and about um, the chakra healing system and things like that, it made so much more sense. So for those that don't know, is that the, the Vedics believe that we have lots of chakras in our body and chakras are just spinning wheels of energy. So we have lots of energy points in our body and we have seven main ones. So it starts at the root chakra and then you have the sacral chakra, the solar plexus. Then you have the heart, which is like the main junction box. And then you have the throat, the third eye and the crown. And the theory is, is that if your energy is flowing and I absolutely believe that our energy flows in a particular way and we Uh, have energy from above and from below and our energy moves in like a torus field and if we have chakras that are blocked or that are overactive um, they can cause us quite a lot of disturbances in health but also in our in our emotional balance as well so let's choose the throat chakra so the throat obviously where the throat chakra is is where you have your thyroid gland which it is a lot to do with our metabolism and our energy production. And what I've noticed, and this is well documented as well in a lot of the ancient texts, is that if you have thyroid problems or throat problems, there probably is a bit of a link with you not feeling like you can express your full truth or not being able to speak your needs or things like that. So a lot of women actually end up with thyroid problems, and that usually hits Um, around menopause time or just before menopause and you know there are a lot of people that don't speak their truths in fact most people don't actually Uh, so a lot of us have got energy that's blocked there our root chakra is very much to do with safety and security and a lot of people don't feel safe and secure so a lot of people have blockages in their sacral chakra 
And if your lower chakras are blocked or if they're overactive, it's very difficult to like activate your third eye chakra, which is where your intuition base comes from and your connection to source and your crown chakra as well. So um, I do a bit of work with my clients if they're open to it, not everybody is. Uh, about working on opening up and focusing on e each chakra in turn from the root upwards. And what I found is, and I found this myself, is that I became much more, I've always been very intuitive, but I became much more aware of my intuition. And I was much more able to just be in the moment and go with the flow because my energy felt like it was moving better. And I definitely feel like my brain connects better as well. But one of the things that I did uh, when I was doing a lot of work on myself was I did Reiki, uh, which is energy medicine, which I highly recommend. And I know lots of people think it's quackery, but I really believe in it. And uh, also, I listen to a lot of binaural beats. And uh, do you know about binaural beats? Nope. So binaural beats are, if you listen with headphones, they're formulated uh, different music to certain vibration sounds and frequencies and you get two different tones in one one tone in one ear and one in the other and the difference in the different frequencies helps different brain waves um, to connect so that you can put your brain into synchronicity and you can get there's some really good uh, youtube uh, ones there's one called magnetic minds which is a really good one and they have the different chakras on there and nearly every day I used to try and listen to one. And nor normally I fell asleep. But what happened when I started listening to them is what I felt like when I was at my worst and I was having some thyroid issues and other problems is that I felt like I had 100 boxes open in my head, but none of them were communicating with each other. So I was trying to remember, you know, things for the kids and stuff like that. And it was very difficult. I found it very difficult for my brain to process. And when I started listening to the binaural beats, it felt like all of a sudden they started to connect to each other and everything just made so much more sense. And I, I listened to those binaural beats for probably about two years. Um, I haven't listened to them for a while, actually. I should get into doing it again. And some people find that they're really, really helpful, but I really like them. And they can help balance with the different frequencies. They can help balance the different energy centers in your body. So the idea is that you can't just sort out your diet. Um, I mean, you may be very emotionally balanced and have very little stress and a good diet. That's great. Carry on. Continue what you're doing. But if you've got persistent problems that keep coming up and you've got issues with stress management or you don't sleep or you've got anxiety and things like that, looking and focusing on your energy and making sure that your vessel is as clean as possible you can make really great strides in healing for sure. And I don't know if you've looked into like somatics or the difference about vibrations and frequencies, but if you look at different, um, different tiers under a microscope, the tiers of joy and happiness, they're very geometrically shaped and they're very clean and crisp and they look beautiful. But if you look at tears of worry or sadness, they just look like a mess. I've read and, this. And yeah. this is what's happening at a cellular level. So if you're constantly in fear and vibrating low and things like that, the, the theory is, is that your cells are not as geometrically aligned as they can be and that those cells aren't reproducing in the right way. So I definitely believe that emotional balance and mind and soul and 
connecting to our soul and our source again, because I, I am very much of the belief that we are a body and a soul and a mind. We're not just a body, for sure, and a mind. And that we are a feeling body that thinks. We're not a thinking body that feels. So essentially, we're a sensory feeling body first, and then we're a thinking reasonable being second but the way in which we live we do it the other way around we think first and we've forgotten how we feel and we've we forgotten react. our intuition and yeah you know my grandmother always used to say to me and my mom trust your gut what does your intuition trust say your and gut, you feel yeah. it in your gut right but we've got so bad at blocking that or our energy's not flowing properly so we can't identify it and then understand what it means to us take a step back and that's what this is all about with COVID, I think, is about being able to clear the noise and to switch that noise off because it's around us all the time. And it's very difficult to get that peace and tranquility in modern day life. But we have to make an effort to do it. We, we should be out in nature as much as possible and we should be taking time for ourselves and letting ourselves believe that we ha we can be healed and we can live optimum lives and there's so much trauma and generational trauma around and people are you know they blame themselves for a lot i don't think people love each love themselves anymore and maybe that's what this is all about like we need to really understand that we are autonomous beings and we need to take care much more of ourselves look after and yourself yeah the society in this COVID thing, like you were saying, of say putting a mask on to save someone else, it's taking us away from our core and our centre. So I think that a lot of people are looking into alternative means of healing and energy medicine and also quantum medicine as well is a is an area that's expanding and that people are becoming more in tune with. And I know a lot of people will probably think that that's all rubbish and that they don't, it all sounds like woo woo, but I don't think it is. I not not that, listeners to this, but listeners to this program won't dismiss anything as rubbish without giving it a chance. Um, there's no doubt about that. Uh, you know, from what I understand of, of people who listen to programs like this, they've always been open-minded to, to other possibilities, particularly when it comes uh, to health and and they know the history that you outlined earlier on post World War One, post World War Two, the attack on everything that you know that human beings had done for themselves for for centuries, for millennia. So they're well they're well aware of that. Can I ask you two quick questions before we run out of time? Because I want to be fair to the listeners. Um, Gail mentions Yoga Nedra, which is breath work and other things. Uh, she's going to try it with her friend. She wonders if you'd heard of it. And um, I've also been asked to put to you, ha have you heard of, or what do you think of something, I think, if I pronounce this properly, ashwagandha? Yeah, ashwagandha is a very good adaptogen that we can use that supports our adrenal health. So, and it can help us relax as well. It's a very good potent drug, uh, not drug, supplement or herbal supplement. And I use ashwagandha. Use it like yourself, it yeah, and you found it good. Yeah, and there are lots of different adaptogens that can use be used for different things, for female hormone support and for um, males as well, for male hormone support and for help strengthening, strengthening our adrenals again, especially if you've had like a burnout. We, some people call it adrenal fatigue, some people call it adrenal insufficiency, but really it's a bit like a nervous breakdown. And uh, ashwagandha can be very 
helpful for for that to build up your adrenals again and to help with your stress hormones. So it can be very helpful. Very interesting that my my old mate David Ike, once or twice over the years, had um, adrenal burnout. It was a very Almost a scary thing to witness, really. I mean, it's a proper crash, isn't it? When yeah, well, that's what happened to me, definitely. Yeah. I went through the, the stages of adrenal fatigue. And like I said, I thought that I was superwoman. And maybe David Icke's been through this. Your adrenaline is high and you're staying up late. And, working and hard, touring, working yeah, hard. running around. Yeah, absolutely. And then you get into that tired and wired phase where you're tired, but you're completely wired and you can't sleep. And then you go into the the end stage adrenal fatigue, which is just like completely tired all the time. And lots of people suffer with that. And they don't know that that's what they're suffering from. Um, And they think that it's all mental. And they then they get into that loop of why can't I cope and, you know, all of that. But actually, it's a physiological thing that's happening to your environment. And it's a sign. It's a warning sign. And lots of people get further health problems if they don't stop and think, well, this really needs dealing with now. And there are lots of ways that you can you can deal with it too. So but that's the whole thing of the mind, body and soul is that you you could eat the best diet in the world. But if you're constantly stressed and you're, you know, permanently putting yourself in an environment where you're thinking bad thoughts or low vibrational energies all the time, you're not giving yourself the body the best chance it can uh, to optimize or to heal. So I think if you're going to be really serious about either optimizing or recovering from an illness is that you need to be honest with yourself that you have to look at emotional links um, you know, you have to think about the mind and also the body too, for oh. sure. And you, I don't think you can do one without the other. And actually, once you start feeling better and you start cleaning out your body and detoxifying, uh, I think that you become much more focused on being able to deal with any underlying stress or emotional problem that's been going on. And maybe fight off the nonsense, the noise, as you described it, coming the from... Noise from the media do you know it'd be nice at some stage maybe in the spring if we because we didn't talk about it in any of the conversations I mean we talked a lot about COVID previously and, and vaccine mandates and stuff but uh, I know something you'll, you'll be very interested in is is sleep yeah and we've not really gotten into that and uh, it's it's a point that's been made to me by someone on, on email but, but I was conscious of it that we haven't spoken about sleep and the very many things that are happening to people who might b- believe they're sleeping and sleeping properly, but they're not. And the impact that has on their health, obviously, but but also their ability to, to handle what's going on around them. I've lived with, don't want it to be about me, it shouldn't ever be about me, but I've lived with um, insomnia for, for 25 years now. Longer. Yeah. 30 years. Yeah, I'm 47 now. 30, well, even longer. 35 years. And gotten used to it. And become pretty good humoured about it. But but I know I'd be twice the guy that you know that that I am. I'd be much more capable if I was able to address that. But um, but that, not to talk about me. But we might look into that on a future program. I've just got a before you get the final word. Please go to genius dot life j e n i u s dot life. That's Jenny's website. Um, years in the NHS educator. Uh, she's been an educator. She's been a recruiter, NHS trained nurse, very successful in private practice and went and studied integrative health with uh, Dr. Stephen Cabral. She talked about that earlier on in the programme and completed the level one uh, IHP course uh, with Dr. Cabral. That's very interesting that. Brilliant to have you back today. That flew by. Thanks for 
answering the questions coming in from the listeners in the 90 seconds we have left is there's anything you want to say Jenny uh, it's just been great having you on so thanks over to you uh, yes definitely so um, the first things that we can focus on is diet emotional balance stress toxins rest uh, exercise sleep and supplements as well that can also help they call it the de-stress protocol so there's all those things that you can look at in terms of health but if people want to start and they want to start with diet, uh, I don't think there's massive hard and fast rules. But if you want to find out if you've got any underlying sensitivities or if any food doesn't work well for you, 21 day elimination diet of just eating whole foods, no grains, no dairy, no sugar, no caffeine um, and no literally no pasta, no, no things like that. So you're just eating vegetables, fruit, um, light proteins. And then after 21 days, you can start adding things in. And there's no real like rules for what people should eat in terms of portion size and things like that. But if you want to look at macros in terms of how much protein and carbohydrates and fat you should eat, there are some very good apps like MyFitnessPal that you can you can put into that. But generally, whenever I'm cooking, I always think, how can I make this healthier? So it might be just adding some more vegetables or it might be adding uh, oil, olive oil at the end or something not to cook with. Um, and actually, I did have a whole list of things I wanted to talk about about diet, but we haven't got time now because I've gone off and talked about different things. Um, but uh, with diet, whole food, organic if possible. If you can't get organic, make sure you clean or peel the vegetables well. Um, and don't fry with vegetable oils or seed oils or olive oil. If you're going to fry, fry with lard or with butter or with um, coconut oil. With the best lard. Things to with fry lard. You yeah, old-fashioned so throwback, you. you. Yeah. <laughs> sounds, it sounds good look we'll do it again in the future we'll do it again in the near future we'll do more on the diet we'll talk about sleep and much more Jenny can be found on Twitter at 1mirror1978 at 1mirror1978 follow her there the website is com. again thanks for your time Jenny until next time take care of yourself and uh, um, hugely appreciate you giving us your time today thank you Thank you, Richie. I'll speak to you soon. Speak soon. Uh, Jenny Lowe's there, a very experienced nurse, educator, a recruiter, talking to us live from Portugal. As I said, the website is genius, J-E-N-I-U-S dot com, and it's One Mirror 1978 on Twitter. Give her a follow there. She's pretty good chatting away with people most days. All right. Ask not what the BBG can do for you, but what you can do for the BBG. Support the Richie Allen Show now at richieallen.co.uk. Lovely. It's uh, going to be a busy week. Uh, Mark Boyerski joins the programme tomorrow. Can't wait for that. Love the man. It's been ages since he was on. Uh, Ramola D will be on the programme this week as well on Wednesday. I'm getting better. At, at keeping the diary up to date. I think Ramola D is with us on Wednesday. I think she is. So it's a busy old week on the Richie Allen Show. Thanks so much for listening to it and for supporting it. And thanks for participating and putting those points to Jenny a little bit earlier on. I'll take my leave of you now and say, as I always do, look after yourselves and one another. And we'll do it again tomorrow at the time of five o'clock UK time. Bye now. <laughs>